0: Right, we're in Ruth uh, chapter 3. Um, today is a love story of Boy Meets Girl. So for those romantics of, uh, of you out there, if you're into Pride and Prejudice, or, no, I thought some of you would be dead excited about this. Uh, this, this is that kind of a moment in the story. Um, it's a love story of Boy Meets Girl, or... Uh, really, in the context of the story, young to middle-aged, poor, foreign widow meets older, wealthy man. Um, it's um, a bit more specific. If they had internet adverts, um, you know, putting themselves out there, but, uh, Ruth's would read, Moabite widow, loyal, courageous, loving, lives with mother-in-law, looking for older man, for love, companionship, financial security, uh, to have children with and continue dead husband's family life. That would be that would be Ruth's. That would be her dating ad. Boaz's would read like this: honourable, selfless, mature, which is code for being slightly older, isn't it? In in those kind of adverts, wealthy, single, gen looking for younger woman, beautiful inside and out, open minded, and up for all out of the box kind of relationships, cross cultural widows, refugees, and the like. That's how their adverts would read. Oh, excuse me. Um. The fruit and key indicators in this part of the story of the people of Israel, of them following God well, or sorry, of not following God faithfully. God has said that there'd be a curse on them, that there would be a scattering, there'd be social chaos and conflict, there'd be an emptiness, fruitless work, famine, childlessness, family extinction. These are the things that you kind of see in the book of Judges, which sits alongside Ruth, when people aren't faithfully following God. But we've learned as well that the... The fruit of following God or the blessing of following God for the people of Israel at the time looked like a gathering in to the promised land of social peace, abundance, fullness, fruitful work, children, growing families, livestock, fruitful harvests. And some of these have started to happen in Ruth's story, haven't they? You remember in chapter one, none of these things were happening. The family was scattering out into um, the Moabite region, living amongst God's enemies. Marrying Moabite women, there was a famine in the house of bread, the bread basket of Bethlehem of, of Judah. Um, but some of this has started to be reversed. They've been gathered back into the promised land. There's an abundance. There's no famine anymore, there's harvest, there's fruitful work. Um, so it's uh, starting to take an encouraging turn. And chapter 2, verse 1 and 23, in case that chapter, and what happened there was Ruth and Boaz have met, he's shown some love and care and favour towards her already, shown himself to be a kind and honourable man. Um, but harvest has just come to an end. That was the end of the last chapter. Harvest has come to an end. And so the storyteller, the author, is is making us think, what next for the relationship? What's going to happen next? What will... Ruth and Naomi do for food now because the harvest is over and for them they're vulnerable poor widows and the, the, chan- the chance of losing their life to poverty is a, is a, is a genuine um, problem for them. So what's going to happen to them without protection or provision? Will the blessings of God and following him faithfully come true for them? We're at a moment in, of suspense in the story. And just a little bit of context that uh, Rod gave us last week. There's this whole idea in this culture of a kinsman redeemer. That's when somebody was widowed, the nearest relative to them would be responsible for marrying them in order to provide protection, care, provision, and to carry on their dead relative's line, uh, family line. Now, that seems a bit odd to us, doesn't it? But it was a way of showing care and love for uh, family members. And so Ruth, somewhere along her family line, has a close relative whose responsibility is to marry her, to care for her and not leave her in such a vulnerable position. And that person is called the kinsman or guardian redeemer. It was a selfless, loving, caring, legal act to care for the widow in an otherwise very vulnerable situation. So, shall we read the passage together? We're in Ruth chapter 3. Um, there's a lot of cultural context here that just needs a bit of unpacking. So as I read the story, I'm just going to provide a bit of explanation alongside it so that we uh, follow along, because otherwise we'll be going like I did when I first read it. Hmm. What happened there? I have no idea. Um, so then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Naomi is wanting remarriage for Ruth, love, companionship, security, family line, and probably Marlon's land redeemed as well. says, "'Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash and anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor.'" maybe she's noticed that Boaz has taken a bit of a liking and shown favor to Ruth. Could he be your kinsman redeemer? Don't go down smelling of sweaty harvest work. Get yourself ready for the big moment. Uh, but don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. She's not just making the point, don't bother a man while he's eating. Wait until he's satisfied. That's not all she's saying. She's saying, wait until you can talk privately together, about a possible marriage. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. I don't know about you, when I read that, I went, hello, hello, <laughs> what's going on here? But it's not that kind of moment. We, uh, in an oversexualized Western culture, we can read things and think, uncover his feet, I wonder what that means. Is that a euphemism? There are some euphemisms in this. Uh, passage but that's uh, not that what, it, what it's saying is wait till you get him alone to talk properly see how he is about the idea of marriage she's encouraging Ruth to take a bit of a risk and a gamble and suggest the idea to Boaz. and she replied all that you say I will do she takes the advice of her mother-in-law she values her parental wisdom and care in considering marriage which in this culture was perfectly normal it's the way of things Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. uh, perhaps away from other workers who would have been in the barn and overheard their conversation. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Perhaps the chill of the evening air was what woke him up. He's got this unexpected visitor at the end of his bed. There are others in the barn, but it's still a bit of a compromising situation. He's startled. He doesn't recognize her. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Again, hello, hello. what's going on here? She's not doing what she's saying about spread your garment over. In Arab cultures, that's still an expression for... A proposal for marriage. So she's proposing marriage to Boaz. She's asking him to become her kinsman, guardian, redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this kindness greater than the first, in that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. You've not married just for love, poor guy. You've not just married for wealth, a rich guy but you're choosing to marry selflessly, thinking of the person that you want to marry, and thinking about your family. Because it's not only going to redeem Ruth and Marlon's land, it's actually going to provide security and safety for Naomi, her mother-in-law, as well. And so he's saying, this kindness you're showing to me and to Naomi is even greater than the loyalty you showed on the road. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, that moment on the road where... Naomi told Ruth and Orpah, go back to your homelands, go and remarry and and so on. There, go back to your people and your gods. And Naomi, in a moment of... uh, Ruth, in a moment of loyal, courageous, loving determination, says, no, Naomi, um, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, your land will be my land, and so on. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. She shows this wonderful, stunning loyalty towards Naomi. And so, Boaz has heard about that and is saying, this is even greater kindness. And now, my daughter, don't fear, we're in verse 11. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. It's the same term that's used of the righteous woman that's in Proverbs 31. I.e., Boaz is saying yes to the proposal of marriage. Hey! It's a bit hidden, isn't it? But he said Yes! It's a good moment, yeah? Kind of expecting a bit of cheer and pomp and ceremony. Hey, 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 thanks. Getting in the spirit of things. He recognises her inner beauty. He recognises her as a a woman he wants to marry. Verse 12. Now it's true that I am a redeemer. I am a relative of yours. I could do this. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. I am a relative of Limelech. And I could redeem you, but there's a relative who's closer, who legally is responsible for doing it, which is why Boaz hasn't done it yet. But Boaz is hoping that nearer relative won't, so he can marry the girl. We'll we'll see if that happens. Uh, Remain tonight, verse 13, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Good news, Ruth. Either way, you will be redeemed in that sense. Let's hope in God I get to marry you and we can um, be married and uh, live happily ever after. Lie down until the morning. Uh, He's already offering her protection from the wandering drunkards that have probably been around the harvest at night. So, verse 14. She lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said... Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. I.e., because there's a legal issue of who's the kinsman Redina, he he doesn't want to compromise an honest outcome. Or he's wary of the damaging gossip that could go on if somebody saw. Verse 15, and he said, Bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley. He put it on her. It's a sign to Naomi and to Ruth of his commitment to protect and provide for them. A desire to marry Ruth, and it also provides an explanation to anybody who sees Ruth returning the next morning really early. Hold on a minute, where's she been? Oh no, she's got barley on her. Okay, she's been working collecting it. Uh, Then she went into the city, verse sixteen. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, "How did you fare, my daughter?" This is the, the equivalent of your mum. You get home. How did the date go? What did he say? That's was kind of that kind of moment. And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty handed to your mother in law. And she replied, Wait, my, mother, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Naomi knows Ruth's honorable character and sees the design, uh, the sign of his desire to marry Ruth and is convinced he'll follow through. It's a great boy meets girl story, but I wonder what do girl meets boy, boy meets girl stories look like in our cultural moment, and here's a bit of a a summary. I'd probably describe our cultural moment boy meets girl stories as um, this, hook up, shack up, Break up, hook up, in the sense that uh, the other day I was reading an internet article, uh, just caught the headline um, Better to have sex on the third than the first date. I not know like, how reserved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why wait so long? You know, if, it, There's a sense in our culture, isn't there, an attitude towards sex that if it doesn't do any harm and both agree to it, then uh, all's uh, fair game. What's the problem? Sex is something that's playful, fun. You use for your own benefit, personal satisfaction and fulfilment, and it's essentially just a, a physical act. The next stage, once you've once you've done that, is that, um, is to live together, to cohabit, to do a bit of a trial run. Yeah, that's understandable, isn't it? You know, marriage is a big deal. It can go wrong. Divorce rates in our nation are incredibly high. So, understandably, people have become quite cautious and pessimistic towards marriage. And so, do a trial run, live together for a while, cohabit, see if the relationship's got legs, see if it's what I want, if it will fulfill what I want from a relationship. Don't jump in too soon. Perhaps being cautious, saying someone better might come along. Marriages are fragile, um, being a bit suspicious. And then, break up. The average Brit has four sexual partners before staying. With someone. Breakups are a part of normal everyday life in Britain, aren't they? And so is the pain, the hurt, the emotional distress, the mental health problems, the self esteem. And our pop culture songs are full of breakup stories, aren't they? I not long ago did a talk and I um, referenced, which I'm going to do in a second, an Olivia Rodrigo song that's called Driver's License, which is top of the charts at the time. And all top five songs in the charts at that moment when I looked were all about breakups and the pain of it and the hurt. Here's what Olivia Rodrigo writes in her song. I know we weren't perfect, but I've never felt this way for no one. And I just can't imagine how you could be so okay now that I'm gone. Guess you didn't mean what you wrote in that song about me because you said forever. And now I drive alone past your street. Resisting singing it, you're doing very well. Well done. I can. We'll hear somebody humming it in a second. And all my friends are tired of hearing how much I miss you, but I kind of feel sorry for them because they'll never know you the way that I do. Yeah. Today I drove through the suburbs. It's in the lyrics, and and pictured I was driving home to you. Red lights, stop signs. I see your face in the white cars, front yards. Can't drive past the places we used to go to. Because I still <clears throat> love you, babe. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Sidewalks we crossed. I still hear your voice in the traffic. We're laughing over all the noise. God, I'm so blue. Nowhere are through. But I still <clears throat> love you, babe. It's the pain of breakups. Surely there's something better than that. Surely there's something better than that. What does the Bible say is God's best for us in terms of boy meets girl moments? And the Bible describes it this way. Leave, cleave, stay together. Leave, make the decision to leave your family and begin a new one with a spouse. Cleave. The idea of marriage in Christianity is exactly what the Spice Girls sung about. When to become one? I won't. I won't go on, because because you're not asking me to. But that is. <laughs> but that is. That's not. That's. Uh, that's the purpose. That's the Christian purpose of marriage. Two f- becoming one flesh. That was the purpose of it in Genesis. That the two may become one flesh. And so. The decision is to cleave, give yourself to the other person, be joined to them as one. That's what the purpose of sex is. Sexual union is to unite two to become one flesh. Marriage is about us, not me and my personal fulfillment and satisfaction. The question in marriage is how can I love my spouse well, not what do I want from my spouse. And the third part is stay together. It's a covenant relationship of promises, isn't it? Until death, that's the promise that you make. Till death do us part, it provides stability and security for children to be raised in. And then you find fulfillment, not in what the other person can do for you, but in giving yourself away to them wholeheartedly. And it's not a relationship where we give up when it gets tough, because inevitably, marriage does get tough, doesn't it? It's hard work. It can be a grind at times. And marriage isn't just about the feeling of love for the person, because feelings can come and go, can't they? But marriage is about a decision to love someone, choosing to love them. This is God's best for us in a boy meets girl moment. And if you're not convinced, then let me try and convince you with some statistics. Statistically, this is a better move than the other cultural option. Uh, one writer says this according to statistics couples who didn't live together before marriage experience a greater divorce rate than couples who didn't most unmarried couples who live together break up within five years and the divorce rate for those who do eventually marry is 67% compared to 45% divorce rate for those couples who didn't live together before their marriage which isn't a great rate either is it (laughs) But at least, you yeah, know, I think the point is, it's better. Cohabiting a trial run essentially doesn't improve your chances of living happily ever after. So Jess and I got thinking off the back of the passage, what are, would be our, our 10 tips for a boy meets girl type moment, 10 pastoral guidelines, as it were. Jess and I put these together and we, we talked them through, um, but because of the pace of life, it's just me sharing, and we didn't have time to prepare, prepare otherwise. Um, they're not rules. They're principles and guidelines from this passage and scripture more widely that provide good counsel for boy meets girl moments. Trust as well that these are helpful and relevant to all of us, whether you're a grandparent, a parent, at this stage of life yourself, whether you're just a brother or sister in Christ to another who's thinking about marriage then we all might have the opportunity to counsel others in terms of what good godly counsel looks like in a boy-meets-girl moment. So, here's ten tips. Ready? Here's number one, is parents stay appropriately involved. Culturally, parental involvement in these kind of moments is pretty minimal, isn't it? In fact, some cultures have significantly more uh, involvement don 't they in other cultures it 's not atypical to have arranged marriages, and uh, that can be kind of the norm in other cultures i 've got a friend who married a Christian Indian girl who was, they lived in Bedford and they had essentially a type of arranged marriage if you 're wondering how good the stats are on that, the divorce rate in the u s for those who aren 't in arranged marriages is forty to fifty percent moves up and down in that bracket. For those who are in arranged marriages, for whatever reason, is four percent. So, if you're looking for a good reason to have an arranged marriage, that'd be a fairly good one, I would have thought. The culture Ruth lived in, this was very much the case. She welcomed and took her mother-in-law's advice on Boaz, making a good husband. He was a kinsman redeemer to her. He valued um, Naomi's wisdom, as she valued Naomi's wisdom and insight. But what's appropriate parental involvement is different depending on the age, isn't it? But particularly for young teens, it, it can kind have a tendency to kind of want to withdraw because it can be difficult, can't it? What teenager wants their parents' input on who their boyfriend or girlfriend is? I don't know many of them. Um, but, and so it can be easy to kind of withdraw from that time. But younger teens especially need, may not want, but need parents' involvement to help unnecessarily avoid... Avoid unnecessary pain and hurt. They're developing adults' bodies, but not with adult emotions and wisdom in decision making and still need their parents' loving but very sensitive involvement in it. And as they develop into later teens and therefore adults, the appropriate level of involvement changes. But personally, Jess and I only got engaged when I was thirty. I'm obviously not going to my mum and dad and going (laughs) what do you think? Although in the sense of can I have permission? You know, is it all right if I go out with my girlfriend at 30 years of age? I didn't do that. But I did still get my mum and dad to meet Jess at a very early stage because I valued their input. Um, Second, be purposeful, i.e. be clear in your mind whether you want to get married or not. Um, That's important. Why is that important? Well, it's important to decide whether you want to get married first. And then act accordingly. It's important to know who you want to marry and who you don't, and act accordingly. Ruth, on Naomi's advice, decided that she wanted to marry Boaz and acted accordingly. They'd known each other for some time, working in the fields for some months, and she'd made up her mind, and he'd had a chance to get to know her too. And Ruth, in this passage, is full of incredible purpose, isn't she? In the way that she goes down to the threshing floor to propose the idea of marriage to Boaz. And Boaz is full of purpose as well. As soon as she suggests the idea, he resolves he's going to find out how to resolve the matter the next day and goes off to sort it. Being undecided about whether you want to marry or not and who you want to marry or not can lead to confusion and the nature of the relationships that you have with others. This is quite, when I was a student worker, this is really typical. The way is that boys and girls are and brothers and sisters in Christ are interacting with each other, is causing a whole load of confusion and chaos about the nature of their relationships with one another, and that confusion causes real hurt and pain. And then sometimes they can be acting out of pure passion without any purposeful commitment to others. Third one, singleness is a good and godly option. In the passage, it doesn't really seem to be, does it? But that's partly because of... Ruth's context, in her cultural context, singleness means um, vulnerability and poverty could take her life. Marriage is a means of survival, provision and protection. But the Bible as a whole teaches the equality of both marriage and singleness. And that's really important, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that says that you need to be in a sexually fulfilling relationship in in order to flourish as a person. That's the general cultural message. Of our time. And yet the Bible says something very different. And we follow a man who didn't, in the human sense, get married during his time on earth. And yet marriage is uh, equally important, isn't it? Because Christ does marry the church, doesn't he? He has a bride. And so both are valid, equally good, godly options, because marriage is a wonderful picture of Jesus' relationship to his bride, the church. He lays down his life for his bride, and she honours him in response. So culture tells us you need to have this kind of relationship to flourish. The Bible says that isn't true. Singleness has got real value because it gives a freedom to serve God and do kingdom work. Uh, fourth, be committed to Jesus as Lord. Lord. Grow in your relationship with him because character matters. In the passage, Ruth's commitment to God and her growth as a woman of God, who was loving, selfless, loyal and courageous, is what played a big part in this relationship going well, wasn't it? The reason Boaz kind of jumped at the opportunity was because he had heard of Ruth's kindness towards Naomi and realised how godly a woman she was. And that's the thing that drew him to her. Regardless of whether a relationship works out or not, the most important thing is growth in God because that's the thing that has the biggest influence on your relationship in the future, isn't it? If you've been married for some time, which many of us have, then you'll know that the biggest problem in your marriage is you. (laughs) If you haven't discovered that, your spouse has. They're just very subtle about telling you about it. And so growth in God and commitment to him is the most important thing. Fifth, treat one another as brothers and sisters. 1 Timothy 5, verse 2 says, treat younger women as sisters in all purity. And this is what Boaz and Ruth do in the passage, isn't it? They treat one another with integrity. Ruth wakes up and gets up before sunrise, so people don't gossip about Boaz and question his integrity. Boaz sends Ruth away with barley, so as not to raise questions about where she's been At such an hour, Boaz states his intentions. He wants to marry her, but he wants to go about it the right way, doesn't he? He wants to go off to the town elders, which we'll see in the next passage, and try and resolve the legal issue so he can marry Ruth instead of the other kingsman, Redeemer. When you marry, you promise yourselves to one another, don't you? And you relate as husband and wife. And you're united in sexual union, but before marriage your brother and sister in Christ. That's your primary relationship to one another. I know culturally we put labels to things, don't we? In fact, when Jess and I uh, were... No, I can't share that, can I? Thanks. Part of our having a conversation about this was what I can say and what I can't. And I didn't clear that one. <laughs> I'll shut myself up. But what can happen is you've got these labels in culture, but really, biblically, you're either brother or sister or you're husband and wife, aren't you? I mean, there's there's an engagement process there as well. But those are essentially the, the two relationships. And when we realize God's boundary for relationships is sex within marriage for a man and a woman, we hear something restrictive. I don't know about you, but when you hear something restrictive, your human mind instinctively goes, how far can I push that boundary? What's the minimum I can get away with? And so it is in boy meets girl situations. And it's essentially the wrong question. The right question is, this is my brother or my sister. What does it mean to treat her or him as my brother or sister? What does treating them with all purity and with integrity look like? Uh, number six is intentional. The nearer Kingsman Redeemer has likely been pretty passive in this situation, in approaching Ruth about marriage. He probably knows that he's meant to go and offer marriage to her so that he can provide and protect for her and he can carry on his um, dead relative's family line. But perhaps he's thinking of himself. Perhaps he's thinking of his own name, his own uh, wealth. Boaz, on the other hand, in the passage, isn't passive. He wants to take responsibility. He goes to resolve the matter with the town elders and with the other kinsman Redeemer, and he makes his move. Ruth, likewise, is really intentional about proposing marriage to Boaz, which goes even further than Naomi's advice. Um, and this is particularly an issue for young men, isn't it, when we're counselling them? Their passivity, indecision, and lack of intentionality can send mixed messages, cause confusion, hurt, and pain. And when I was a student worker at King's in Norwich, where we had. Well, about 120 students who are with us regularly. Most of my pastoral time and energy was encouraging young men to say, uh, to decide, and then say what they've decided. And that was pretty much my only pastoral advice I've had. Know. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time doing that kind of thing. Encouraging young men, look her in the eye, tell her how you're feeling, and what your intentions are. It's very simple, isn't it? But it's actually quite difficult to do because you open yourself up to. Vulnerability, rejection, and that can be really hard to deal with. This isn't just something you do in the lead up to being married to the boy meets girl moment. Husbands, this is a lifetime of marriage, isn't it? Of being intentional, loving your wife, knowing what that looks like, taking responsibility, taking the initiative. Seven, be evenly yoked. Most of these are guidelines or principles. This is literally a biblical command. It's the only one that stands out in that way. And it's a command for those of us who are single, following Jesus, and want to pursue godly marriage. It's not for those of us who are already married and find ourselves in a different situation. But 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 says, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What's the picture in the passage? Well, it's this picture of two oxen. They're joined together with a wooden bar, an uneven yoking, basically means that the stronger ox pulls against the younger one, or the weaker one, and they work against each other. So the principle of Christian marriage, Spice Girls, is when two become one. If your aim in Christian marriage um, is unity, oneness, um, like Jesus is one with his bride, the church, then you want to marry somebody who shares your priorities in life. As a Christian... Seeking a spouse who also seeks God's kingdom first is really important to do because it affects how you spend your time, your energy, abilities, and money. So it makes sense to marry somebody who loves God and has the same priorities as you. Otherwise, that can cause a whole load of grief that you could have avoided. Number eight, look for inner strength and beauty. In verse 9 in the passage, if you have a look, what attracted Ruth Ruth to Boaz was, she said to him, you are a redeemer. She could have approached the nearer kinsman redeemer, but she's seen Boaz's inner strength, and that's attracted her to him. Boaz had noticed Ruth in the fields, asked about her. He's shown favor towards her already, possibly because he's attracted to her outward beauty. verse 10, he makes it clear that Boaz is attracted to Ruth's inner beauty, her kindness towards him in this moment, but also her kindness in the past towards Naomi. Basically, Ruth's inner strength, loyalty and courage has gone around town. You know, towns gossip, don't they? Especially small ones like Bethlehem and other places to begin with. Everyone knows everyone's business very quickly. And so Ruth's reputation off the back of the way that she treated Naomi has spread throughout town. And Boaz knows the kind of woman that she is. And he's attracted to her inner beauty, not just her outer beauty. And in our culture, we're obsessed with external beauty, aren't we? You don't have to look at the magazine covers in the shops to know that that's the case. But if you get obsessed in your decision about who you marry with external beauty, you can walk into a really difficult Marriage. Proverbs 27:15 says, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. <laughs> it doesn't matter how beautiful she is on the outside, if she's like a dripping tap, you're going to have a hard time in your marriage. L- likewise, Ephesians 5:33 calls wives to respect their husbands. It's easier as a wife to marry and respect somebody who is respectable right that's an easier thing to do because you're just giving them the respect that they clearly should have you even need to respect your husband if he's not respectable and honourable if he's not like Boaz and you can imagine how difficult that might be Uh, number nine pray and seek the counsel of others After deciding to follow Jesus, deciding who you marry is pretty much the next biggest decision, or whether you marry. And so Ruth takes Naomi's counsel when it comes to her decision. Baraz seeks counsel from the town elders, which we'll see later, particularly because it's a legal issue. Proverbs 11.14 says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counsellors, there is safety. Or in some versions it says, with many counsellors, there is victory. Safe, wise decisions about who to marry are made with the input of trusted others, drawing their understanding, insight, and experiences. So, I was living with two other guys when Jess and I started uh, spending time together. They got to know her as well, and their input was valued and important to me, and I would mention that. Um, Jess met my mum as well. Um, Number 10. Sorry? And my dad, yeah. Uh, Dad was also there. (laughs) Uh, Number 10. Beware they listen to these talk, so I've got to be really careful what I say, (laughs) Um, and I'm now going to be in trouble. Number 10, beware of expectations. Ruth and Boaz are walking into a cross-cultural marriage between an Israelite and a Moabite. Ruth is also widowed, so she's experienced a previous marriage to Marlon. So whoever you marry, you carry with you, don't you, past expectations, experiences, preconceptions that come through maybe your experiences of other marriages, your parents, uh, through the media, um, and we all get those kind of expectations built up. It takes wisdom and time to talk those through fully and to decide on marriage with your eyes wide open to the main challenges in your marriage, because if t- the aim is for two to become one, it 's good to know what are the things about difference between us and our expectations of marriage that will make this union difficult. So there you go, our top 10 tips, um, pastoral guidelines for boy meets girl moments. I realise not all of us are in that stage of life, but I I would anticipate a large number of us will have some influence with people who are at some point, and hopefully that's helpful. So the fruit, the key indicators of following God are gathering in social peace, abundance, fullness, fruitful work, children, growing families, livestock, etc., and some of these started to happen but the end of the chapter i love this book because it's like it's a it's a really good story because every chapter ends with a oh, what's gonna happen next and we've got one of those moments again will ruth and boaz get married and live happily ever after or is she gonna have to go with the other bloke are the blessings of faithful god upon naomi ruth and boaz Boaz, how is the story going to turn out? Are they going to experience the blessing of God? Is God going to be faithful to what he said to the people of Israel? So, we'll leave it there for another week. Should we pray before we finish? Father God, we thank you for your Uh, faithfulness towards us. We thank you for it demonstrated in this wonderful book that we're going through. Um, We thank you that you've sent a king, King Jesus, to reign over our lives, to bring uh, a peace, a harmony to life uh, with God and with others. Um, We so appreciate the faithfulness that you're showing in this book. It's not just something we're reading in a story. It is something that's impacting our lives as well. And uh, Lord, we pray, we thank you for your wisdom and guidance. We thank you for the joy of marriage and the joy of singleness, whichever we've decided on. We thank you that your spirit helps us to walk through both with grace and mercy towards others and to ourselves. I just pray um, off the back of this morning, when we have opportunity to counsel others in these boy-meet-girl moments, we pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom that is of genuine, genuine encouragement, support and wisdom to them so that we can see many make good decisions and live in the benefit of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.